1: G'day, Mike Hussey here, but you can call me Mr. Supercoach. KFC Supercoach BBL is back and there's 25 grand up for grabs. So what are you waiting for? Play today at supercoach.com.au
2: T's and C's apply. New South Wales authorisation number TP slash 01005.
0: Corp is coming in gold in a world
2: record. Ian Corp, the birth of a legend.
1: 458 is the total, out of which Bradman has made 309 not out. It's a world record. first
2: ball in test cricket in England for Shane Warden. and he's done it he started off with the most beautiful delivery Australia has done it Australia is back on the biggest stage
0: welcome to this is your sporting life for Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating lives here's your host Sam Edmund
2: Hello everybody and welcome once again to the show. As always, we're here for our friends at Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives. Well today, we're speaking to Australian netball royalty. Lisa Alexander played the game, but it was as coach of the Australian Diamonds that her legend truly grew. Lisa was the first Australian coach never to have played a test, but when her Diamonds coaching career ended in March, she was the most capped Australian coach of all time. Lisa has overseeing gold medals at the Commonwealth Games and Netball World Cups in a 102 test stint that boasts a winning record of 81%. And her coaching career might not be done yet. Lisa, hello. Welcome.
1: Oh, thank you so much. I feel really, really humbled by being on this program and amongst such legends of sport. As, as you may know, Sam, I'm a bit of a sports nut myself. <laughs> Well. Um, grew up loving the uh, Australian rules football and my cricket, so yes, I'm I'm very much Aussie Aussie fied when it comes to our champions of the past.
2: Oh no, you sit very comfortably in that conversation. Well, where do where do we find you at the moment, uh, Lisa? In your in your daily life?
1: Well, I was actually just working out a maths problem. Then I'm actually a maths teacher by profession, so I was using my skills to work out. Uh, the floor and wall surface areas that I need tiles for in our bathroom. So that was exciting for me. (laughs) I know it doesn't excite everybody. That's one thing um, I can't relate to, I'll be honest. The tilers out there. will know what I'm talking about. Um, But yeah, no, I'm just, we're doing, we've moved to um, country Victoria, my husband and I, and uh, we sold our apartment in Melbourne. And uh, very luckily through the COVID period, I have to say, and, it was a bit uh, heart and mouth stuff there for a while, but we bought our property this time last year to do really an escape to the country, but um, we've always wanted to go, especially Malcolm um, was brought up in Ballarat, so he's got a real, you know, wants to be in the country in the green green grass and the fresh air, and uh, we've moved to Avoca, which is about mm. 58 kilometres northwest of Ballarat. On the way to Mildura on the... Um, Sunraysia Highway, so it's a it's a beautiful area of Victoria. I hadn't been here before myself, um, but it's um, you know sheep and cropping, and also very well known for its wines. It's a, a winery area. The Pyrenees um, Winery is here, and also our favourite is Summerfield Winery up in Moonanbull, and it's just a beautiful um, environment, and we're loving it.
2: Sounds delightful. I mean, Avoca is a fair way from Cheltenham, the Melbourne suburb where you grew up. And, and you, Lisa, have a fascinating journey behind you. But uh, growing up in Cheltenham, what did uh, the folks, what did mum and dad do for, uh, yeah, for a crust?
1: Well, Dad dad's a truck driver. He's actually a small business owner. When I think back on it, and he was a, what we called a contractor in those days and delivered alcohol actually to pubs. So we had a secret cupboard at home, the secret cupboard full of grog. Um, Not that I was a big grog drinker in those days. Mm -hmm. um, But, yeah, he did that and he worked also for Lindsay Fox back in the day and had a love affair with St Kilda Football Club. So dad was on the social committee back in the uh, 70s, early 70s. And my mum actually worked for Colgate Palmolive as a representative in um, groceries in those days and um, merchandiser. So she did a lot of business development work. And she also ran my dad's business, so she did the bookwork. So mum gave me her maths um, knowledge and the two of them uh, were very involved and dad was also president of West Pentley Cricket Club. So I lived around West Pentley Cricket Club um, in the summer and had was at the St. Moorabbin Oval a lot in my early days, particularly, yes, yeah, I can remember as long as I can remember mucking around in the gravel at um, the Moorabbin Oval back in the day.
2: Fantastic. So you mentioned your love of sport there, Moorabbin, West Bentley cricket. Well, I mean, what sort of young girl was Lisa Alexander? I think Shane Gould might have been your childhood idol as well, maybe some Olympic bathers in the backyard pool imitating Shane at times?
1: <laughs> That's right. I had those beautiful 70s-style Speedos <laughs> with the – Oh they had yeah, they were quite interesting, those st- you know they were made out of a lycra material. It wasn't you know as as special it is as it is now, but it was pretty special for me. They were green and gold, so I was imagining I was um Shane Gould up and down our Clark pool, and my last name my maiden name is Clark, so it was quite funny my Friends used to think that we had our name on the side of the pool so we wouldn't lose it. (laughs) And um, I would be up and down that pool pretending I was Shane Gould. Now, the thing that was fascinating about Shane is that she did swim every stroke apart from breaststroke. So she was a real all-rounder. And so I loved to practice all the different strokes, backstroke, breaststroke, butterfly, um, freestyle. And I actually taught myself to swim. My brother and sister both had swimming lessons but obviously mum ran out of time with me and i just learned how to swim in that pool i taught myself um and absolutely loved the water i was a water baby um and i was a complete tomboy so that's me in a nutshell i'd playing i'd be kicking the footy in preference to i did do calisthenics which was very i guess girlified in those days with lots of costumes and things but i balanced it out with my football and cricket and mucking around and playing playing with guns and playing war games. So that's me.
2: Well done. And and you mentioned the love of the saints there that the family has a connection with. I mean, is it true that if you were born a boy, you would have been named Daryl Baldock-Clark?
1: Absolutely true. Uh, I was born in 1963 and mum always used to say to me, um, you know, she always reminded me it was a week after JFK um, was assassinated. So that was a big deal, obviously, in the world at that time. So. Um, You know mum always reminds me of that and um, 63 was obviously when uh, Daryl Bulldock was in St Kilda and playing so well, great Tasmanian champion and of course was captain of our premiership team in 1966 which I didn't get to see, I was only three. But certainly if I was a boy, I was going to be called Daryl. There is no doubt about that.
2: <laughs> so sporting sporting <laughs> heroes abounded for you, Lisa. But you were an academic too, weren't you? I mean, you graduated as class captain from Cheltenham Girls High School and you went to study medicine, no less, at Monash Uni.
1: Yeah, I think um, I will have to just pick you up on that one, Sam. It was actually Cheltenham High School, which is a co-ed school. So. right. I definitely had boys around me going to high school. Um, we had a we had a girls' school called Mentone Girls High School. Um, many of my friends went to that school. Sharni Layton went to that school as well. Um, but I chose to go to the high school because, well, I mean, being a tomboy, I just you know had to have boys <laughs> around me as it, as it was.
2: It did. It did um, strike me I... as a stark uh, comparison if the tomboy going to the yeah. girls' school. So don't let me get away yeah. with anything here, Lisa. <laughs>
1: That's okay, and look, my mark—I did go for a scholarship to Furbank as well in Brighton, but I didn't quite get there. But they obviously missed out on me because I ended up getting, you know, marks, you know, good enough to get me into medicine. But I absolutely loved Cheltenham because I don't know if you remember, but Ross Smith um, was actually a PE teacher at Cheltenham yeah. High School back in the day and a great St Kilda footballer. But then he went on to be a lecturer at Rusden, um, where I ended up. Um, So he was, you know, still had a lot of influence over me But he actually started a sporting exchange with a South Australian school called Gillies Plains And even my husband, who Malcolm now, who went to Cheltenham High School as well back in the day um, He's a bit older than me, so we never crossed paths at school But we both went to Gillies Plains Exchanges And it was a huge sporting exchange with a school in South Australia And it was a big deal and it was one of the great things about high school for me was being able to do that um, every year. And my sister was very cross because in year seven, I got picked in the netball team um, and she was in that same team. And I also got picked in the athletics and cross country team. So I got to go to Gillies Plains when I was in year seven with my sister in year 11, much to her dismay, hanging around. So <laughs> Sharon's always been a bit annoyed with me about that, but... Um, but she's very proud of me and very encouraging. She's, you know, watched my career as a coach and a player with, you know, um, great joy as well.
2: And so you obviously played just about every sport imaginable. I think Little Athletics got a look in as well. And, and it stood to reason that netball was always going to get a look in at, at some point. Am I right in saying that it was around at the age of 10 you joined your friends in a netball team? Was that your first look at it?
1: Yeah, that's right. Um, Yeah. It was, uh, well, grade five in those days, year five in these days, and we joined the local church team, which um, Cheltenham Church of Christ, and that was through friends, um, Karen Hosking and also her sister Julianne and, and Pat, who was our, you know, ran the club, and Harvey Hoskin also actually coached the team. Um, so we were very, it was a very family-oriented, school-oriented um, club, but we did have to go to church on a Sunday to qualify to play for Cheltenham Church of Christ. And most of our games were over in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne in Vermont and Ringwood, so we, in East Burwood. So we would have to travel uh, for our home and away games. And that was a load of fun going together. Hmm. Um, and I just fell in love with Netball. I was... I played in the centre from the start, loved it. Um, I think I was captain in the second year. They chose me as captain and I just kept on, you know, progressing forward. I actually got into Vic Church's teams in in my younger years, in the under-16s and the under-18s, and I was picked in their open team when I was in year 11. So um, I progressed through that association, you know, very quickly. Um, and then I got asked to go to the Melbourne Blue Club by Pam Hubbard who was my coach at the time and that was the club that Norma Norma Plummer ran and um, it was the, the best club in Victoria that played in the State League and that's where I started first um, but then I had Carly. Carly came along when I was 18 and I had to have a bit of a break from netball so it was funny I was think three months pregnant when I was in final selections of the under 21 team, not to my knowledge at the time. Sounds really weird. I know people think, how did you not know you're not pregnant? You know, you were pregnant, but when you hadn't been pregnant before, it's hard to know. <laughs> so,
0: oh,
2: yeah. Well, I'll take your um, word for any that.
1: Case, take my word for it, mate. Um, you know, here I was, a, you know, going to be a medical student <laughs> and you'd think I'd know about these things, but At the end of the day, uh, you know, I had a busy life. My partner at the time, um, Luke Alexander, was, um, you know, quite a good footballer as well. So I was, you know, following him around. He went down to Mount Eliza to play. He'd been um, captain of the St Kilda under-19 team um, back in the day as well. So, you know, I was sort of all around sport all the time.
2: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934. Well, next, Lisa Alexander's decision to pick up a netball would forever shape her life and career. We'll explore that right after this.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating
2: lives. Great to have your company on This Is Your Sporting Life, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. We're with legendary netball coach Lisa Alexander. Well, Lisa, as you just touched on before, you fell pregnant at 18, and at the time, I think you were trialling for the Victorian under-21 team. I mean, what was this time like in your life? Can you take us back?
1: Yeah, I can. it was – I haven't actually – it's actually still – it's still hard for me at different times, Sam, to talk about it because – There was, uh, at that time, there was actually a lot of shame about it, being pregnant so young, you know, people did look down on you. Um, Everyone was shocked at school because here I was, you know, goody two-shoes, you know, getting the the marks to get into medicine and doing so well at sport as well. Um, I think it was, you know, people just thought, oh, well, you know, what are you going to do? Um, But I was very much supported by um, Monash University Medical um, depart They wanted me to come back um, but I didn't. Um, I decided to go down a different track which was to um, study teaching and particularly physical education and mathematics teaching at secondary level. So I went to Rusden College. It was called Victoria College at the time but it was quite a famous um, PE department. It was actually really hard to get into. You actually had to have very high marks to get into it. And uh, the legendary St Kilda footballer, Ross Smith, was the lecturer there. So I knew Ross through my father's connection with St Kilda. Um, and he actually lectured me in, in um, year three when I did my human movement um, major, um, particularly in skill acquisition. So, you know, he was quite noted for that as a um, an academic. So that's the area. And I actually did my level 3 at the time football Australian rules football coaching degree at university so I actually have got a coaching degree in AFL football <laughs> um I did it in basketball and I also did it in swimming so and at the basketball we were taught by Ian Stacker who's quite a famous coach now and we had Brian Gorshin come in and take us for that and we also I did um, you know my double I think it was bronze medals and everything else in swimming so because I was a very good swimmer I kept up that um, and meanwhile having to juggle all of that with um, being mother to Carly and it's you know my my own mother Jeanette who I, I lost um, four years ago our family lost our wonderful mother um, you know she was enormous support to me I wouldn't have wouldn't have been able to do what I did without her support. I lived at home for the first two years because the hours at um, the phys ed degree were very big. And eventually um, I came out with the teaching degree and taught at Seaford Caram High School for the first two years where I met the wonderful Paul Kennedy who is on News Breakfast, um, ABC News Breakfast. I think many of you would know Paul, um, a great Seaford um, person. And uh, I actually taught him in Year 7 in my homeroom and also mathematics. So he, he knows of me from a long time ago. Uh, but then my husband decided to move to Leangatha. He started playing football for Leangatha Footy Club and we travelled down there. Um, and then I was also trialling for Australian teams and Victorian teams at the time. So it was very, very busy life. Oh,
2: can't um,
1: But we thought that moving... We thought that moving to the country was actually the best thing for our family at the time. We thought it would be a great thing for Carly to grow up in a country town. Mm. Um, and I was lucky enough to get a job at the Leangatha High School, um, which then became Leangatha Secondary College. So um, my husband started playing for Leangatha and they actually won a premiership in 1989. Um, Luke played with Michael Roughhead, which is Jared's father, so we knew the Roughheads very well, um, and Cheryl, his mother, and um, Colin Boyd was the coach at the time, and he was also my colleague at high at the Leangatha High School, where he was also a phys ed teacher. So Colin used to play for Essendon back in the day, so you know, big big sporting commitments, um, as well as you know, adjusting to living in a new. You know, country town of Langatha, but it was fantastic. I really loved that time.
2: I just can't get my head around how you found time for it all. It's just incredible, the career, um, being a mum at such a young age, and, and yet you, you kept playing netball, which is just so admirable. You, you kept your toe yeah. in the water there. And I wanted to ask you, as you progressed through the ranks, you know, what sort of player were you? Oh, well,
1: <laughs> it depends on which age group you think about. When I was younger, I was known as you know, extremely fast and extremely fit, um, particularly when I was playing at big churches. And I, I grew tall quickly, so I was put into defence for a while. So I always had a bit of a defensive background, but then for my school team, I played goal attack. So, you know, I could shoot a little bit, but it wasn't my forte. And I actually had a really tall shooter, Fiona, to feed. So I knew how to feed tall shooters quite early. Um, and then when I played for the Vic Church's open team, I played centre and I ran that tournament, the whole tournament, um, and learnt a lot from the more experienced players in that team. And then I just worked my way through, um, you know, the, the ranks in, in state league and it was lucky enough to be picked in Victorian team for three years and we won a title back in 1986. Mm-hmm. That was um, with Simone McInnes, my um you know she's one of my teammates at the time, and Rosalie Jenke, who I'm still you know great mates with now. and nearly that whole team has gone on to go into coaching actually, and Norma was our coach, but we it was the first time we'd ever um, been had finals in the in the national championships, So Norma really wanted us to be very fit. So before every single training session we ran a fifteen minute fartlek at the time, which was basically Indian file. And we would have her legendary three-hour training sessions. So, you know, I'd be training or playing for netball at least five times a week back in those days and often having to travel into Melbourne uh, to do that. So it it was full on, but I learned a lot. Norma was a great taskmaster. She was an expert tactician. And I remember in one national, she put me on. She said, like, I'm going to put you on. I am going to. I want you to really run that centre down into the ground and then we'll take you off and we'll put whoever was coming on into centre. So that was my role. I played a role. And then I got picked in the national squad. So I had to actually go on trial for mm-hmm. um, the world championships in 1987. And I think what I learnt from that was I didn't quite believe in myself enough at that time and I didn't understand sports, um, you know, performance psychology as well as I should have. And that really held me back because if I'd had a little bit more confidence, I reckon I would have made that team. Um, but I'd missed out by a whisker. And But, you know, at the end of the day, I was really proud that I had got to that level, um, you know, having a baby. Mum was up there watching me, actually, crossing her fingers like she used to do at all the trials that I went to. Mm -hmm. She was the sort of mum that never was pushy and never said anything to anyone, but was just totally supportive of me. So she would drive me to netball, or I ended up driving her when I was getting my learners. And, you know, she was just a really quiet supporter. Um, Very, very proud of, of what, you know, I've achieved. And she luckily got to see us win that World Cup in 2015. So I was very you know, very happy about that.
2: So, Lisa, here you are on the, on the fringe, on the cusp of being picked in the national team for a world championships. But am I right in saying that the idea of coaching and the appeal of coaching sort of came to you relatively, at a relatively young age? When did that start to become appealing in your mind?
1: Yeah, we, um, for our club, East Doncaster, who I played for after Melbourne Blue, we had to coach. It was part of the expectation of us, particularly a couple of us, myself and Michelle Jones at the time. We were both training to be teachers. So it was expected that we would take some junior teams and that's what we did on Saturday mornings in um, Melbourne at Royal Park. But when we moved to country, it was just everyone just expected me to coach the team (laughs) because I'd been an elite player. I was a phys ed teacher um, the only female phys ed teacher at Leongatha High School in my first year. And so uh, what we did there was quite special. We actually put together a Gippsland regional team, uh, which was based on not just players from Leongatha, but from Carnborough, from Foster, um, also some players from Tachenham and Cranbourne. And we entered the state league and we worked our way up to the very top. So we got Gippsland regional team to play every Wednesday night, um, in at Melbourne, and worked our way up to get to the championship grade, which was an enormous achievement, really. So, during that time, I was a playing coach. Um, I obviously had to play, and I had a bench coach who was Jeff Davis, who was fantastic. And um, that's where I really learnt to coach and be a captain as well, um, you know, because I had to perform week in, week out, and I had to show the way and role model hard work at training and then still perform in the matches. Um, And I also started to apply a bit more of my performance psychology work that I was doing because I was also coaching school teams and I was also coaching the Victorian team as well. I coached the Victorian school girls for two years and then I went to the 17 and unders and 19 and unders in Victoria and worked my way up to be the Open National uh, Victorian coach in 1995. So we won the title that year. Simone McInnes was my captain. Um, But I took a group of young players through from the juniors to that team. And I think that was the secret to success. We hadn't won a title since 1986 when I was in the team playing. So um, it was a long time between drinks for Victoria. So you can imagine, you know, how fantastic it was at the time. And, you know, when I was quite young at that age, I think I was 32 So I I wasn't that much older than some of the players in the team. So I guess, you know, that's where my journey started. It started very young, um, but it was very broad because I did have to coach at the, you know, association level. I coached at the regional level and I coached at the state level. So it was a really good grounding for me in coaching.
2: You're with This Is Your Sporting Life, brought to you, of course, by a Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Just visit tobinbrothers.com.au. We'll be back with one of netball's sharpest tactical minds, Lisa Alexander, after this break.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating
2: Lives. Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition of This Is Your Sporting Life. We're chatting with netball coaching great Lisa Alexander. Well, Lisa, I wanted to ask you about the apprenticeship job with the Australian uh, team under Joyce Brown. It was 1994. What was that experience like, dipping your toe in the water on the, uh, on the national scene?
1: Well, that was just amazing. I was actually in shock when Joyce rang me to say, you know, she would like me to be the apprentice coach because I lived in Leongatha, which was, you know, 130 Ks because I knew exactly how far it was from Melbourne. Hmm. Uh, and it was a bit of a drive. And, um, you know, she assured me that she would really want, love me to do it. And, of course, I didn't, you know, the Australian team didn't play all the time. So there were different times that they did. So... Um, I was very fortunate I um, got picked up by a driver to drive me to the airport so that was very very nice Um, and I flew around the country to join the Australian team wherever they were uh, for different training sessions. We had a lot of sessions in Melbourne so that was quite convenient Um, and I just went along to those sessions and worked with Joyce as her I guess a bit of a dog's body at the time but you just you just had to lap up everything. Um, I went over to New Zealand for their tour over there, which was fabulous. Um, I had saw Liz Ellis make her debut um, for Australia in Invercargill. Uh, sorry, Dunedin it was. That's right, Dunedin. And um, I got to spend five hours in the car with Joyce from Auckland down to Waikato um, because she went down to watch the Australian A team play um, so that's the sort of, it showed me the the absolute focus that you had to have as the national coach. So not only was she coaching the national team and doing all the things that she had to do for that, she was also traveling in a car down to watch the Australia Aid team compete so that she could see the next layer under of athletes that were coming through. So the energy levels were huge, but in that car trip, I learned a lot about Joyce. Um, particularly, I got to ask the questions that I wanted to about how she was doing it. She has four children. And, of course, most people would remember Fraser Brown, who played for Carlton, uh, along with Brett Ratton. And um, Joyce is a big Brett Ratton fan. Mm. <laughs> and, um, you know, Joyce has got a lot to say about football as well. And I know she put her hand up. Well, she didn't put her hand up, but she asked for the coaching I think advertisement at the time for the Fitzroy job when it was advertised back in the day and everyone, it caused a big stir in Melbourne in the football circles. But she was simply trying to find out what um, Australian rules were doing with their coaching processes at the time because she was always ahead of the game, Joyce. Um, But she's watched football like myself for our whole, you know, basically our whole life. Um, because it is so embedded in in us in, in Melbourne. So, you know, she's got a lot to say about it and she knows a lot about it. And she used to be interviewed by Tim Lane, I think it was on ABC Radio, um, and it was called The Coach from the Outer. And uh, she used to talk about what the coaches were doing and what they were going through on the radio then with Tim. And it was a fascinating time. And I always used to listen to it. Um, and she was well respected for her views. And, you know, David Parkin often bounced ideas off her. And the two of them started the coaching uh, degree at Deakin University together. Um, they were the first um, well, professors, so to speak, at, at the time. But I learned a lot about actually how to manage my life, things like you know Joyce, in her day when she first coached the national team, she was probably about thirty five. she had four kids under six, and I said, "How did you do it?" And she said, "I got a nanny because Colin, her husband was a, a very well known and um wealthy business owner um, in the Lilydale area. He was too busy. He couldn't look after the children, so she had to get a full-time nanny to look after the children when she was away with the Australian team. Now, you could do it in those days because you weren't away as much. You probably couldn't do it today. But, um, you know, it just showed me that if you had the focus and you really wanted to do it, you could work out ways to get it done. Um, And I also remember the story she told me when she lost one of her twins around VFL Park and how she had to actually go onto the ground at VFL Park back in the day and call out for him going all around the inside of, oh. the, of the ground. So here's the great Joyce Brown, fantastic world-class world champion coach looking for one of her sons. It was, yeah, it it just made me think, you know, Joyce is such a down-to-earth person. She doesn't, there's no airs and graces about her other than, you know, she's very... She's very gracious and she's very dignified, but she's also just, she's a normal person and had to go through all the normal things that everyone has to go through um, to get to do the high performance coaching that she did. And so that made, it gave me a lot of confidence that I could do it. So even though it was a long time between that time and when I finally did get the coaching position with the Australian team, Mm. I still learnt a lot from that period of time.
2: So, Lisa, you went from there, and I guess your first major coaching job was with the Melbourne Kestrels in the National League in around 1997, and then Melbourne Phoenix came calling a course in the Commonwealth Bank Trophy, and you made your mark there, winning two titles, 2002 and 2003. But you mentioned the international scene. I mean, you coached the Australian under-21s, and then you got the Diamonds job, the big one, in 2011. I wanted to ask you what role your partner Malcolm actually played in you applying for that job, because... Obviously, at that point, a national coach who had never played for Australia at senior level, I mean, it had, it had never happened. It was new ground. I mean, how big was Malcolm in 2011, this stage in your life, this critical point?
1: Well, I wouldn't have done it without his encouragement because, you know, like I said before, when I was talking about Joyce and her kids, you know, we I'd just been through a marriage breakup well, probably about seven years earlier. And so I think one of the things that Malcolm loved about me and the reason he wanted to be with me because is because I am a coach. He loved that persona. He told me that. He loved watching me on TV coaching. And so when we got together, he just knew that I would keep coaching and he was very supportive of it. And he actually helped me a lot with how to apply for different roles and also how to, I guess, manage teams. He'd been a school principal himself. And so he had a great amount of knowledge about leadership and how people behave. Um he ended up writing a PhD on human behaviour basically, behavioral science. And um his own journey is absolutely fascinating as well. And, you know, he should write a book about it one day, I'll try and get him to do it. But <laughs> he will he worked with the toughest kids at St Kilda Community School who, you know, the rest of the system have just thrown out, basically. And his job was to try and get those kids and turn those their lives around. So I learnt a lot from Malcolm about how to be humble and how to work away at influencing young people to really be the best they could be. So I actually learnt more about teaching and education with him than I'd ever learnt in the previous twenty years. So um, that was great. And he also gave me the confidence. He looked at my application when I wrote it first and he just said to me, That's just not good enough, Lisa. You're not selling yourself enough. You need to actually say the things that you're good at and put that down on paper. And it was really hard for me to do that. I didn't I, I had this thing about I think it's called imposter syndrome. Um, and I thought that, you know, I would get jobs because I was lucky. Well, no, I would get this job because I'd leave no stone unturned. And that's the sort of, I guess, environment he created for me was, no, nah, no, 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 you're going to get up there and you're going to rewrite that again. Mm-hmm. So... <laughs> so he was very demanding that he's, he's the, you know, he's he's a joy. He's he's my, my soulmate.
2: Fantastic. Well said. And So your nine-year tenure in charge of the Diamonds, I mean, it was a record 102 matches, of course, 83 wins, and you can include the Commonwealth Games gold in 2014, the World Championships gold 2015. Australia, I think, was ranked number one for the entirety of your tenure. They were the good, the bad, the 2018 Commonwealth Games gold medal game against England and the silver medal there and the one goal lost to England was actually dubbed the biggest upset in the sports history, I think, at the time. How do you look back on your nine year tenure, the ups and the downs of it?
1: Uh, Well, you certainly remember all the really good times. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's something that, um, yeah, I mean, that's something that I've got to train myself to do because it is really easy for me to just think of the last, really the last four years of the cycle were the toughest because we had to repeat success. And that's always really hard. Um, I'm really proud that we stayed in that world number one, though. So that shows that the work we did to, you know, sustain our success and our standards as a squad were really high. And you've got to keep it in perspective. We lost those two, go- those two games by one goal. Yeah. I mean, that is just a centre pass. And it's very close. And, look, I won't go back on it, but we were... If you look back at the penalties, we were very heavily penalised in both of those games and that was always something that was always a risk for Australian teams. Um, Because we are umpired by neutral umpires, they often are not used to the way that we play, particularly our tight one-on-one defence. And so the Australian umpires umpire that differently to how other umpires umpire us. So I always have to work with the umpires at each test series and you can't really do that in at a com games or a world cup. You have to you you'd stay quite separate from the umpires. So, you know there is a bit of what what I would say like rub of the green, and um, it didn't go our way. Um, particularly, what I think was most disappointing about our com games loss was we were just playing absolutely superb netball, and the game against New Zealand, the semi final, was the best I think I'd ever seen us play. And it was my daughter that sent me, you know, the tech, uh, a text message the day after. And I said, why didn't you send it on the day before? It was from Bill Gates to say, you know, success is a lousy teacher. And it really is. You do get lulled into some dumb stuff. Not that we did anything dumb, but we had a very, very quick turnaround between the semifinal and the final And I'd had an argument the week before about the timing of the two games. We should have really had the early game because that would have given us more time between the semi-final and the final. But it had to change because of TV. And look, I know we've got to sell our sport and we've got to be on the right times. But that actually did cause a massive disadvantage for us because it meant that England had more time to prepare for the match. Um, And I think they really, they just, Went for it. They didn't have the burden of, of having to, you know, do anything. And at the end of the day, what that did, the win for England actually boosted netball in England like you wouldn't believe it. Um, and we lost that game by one goal. It, we were nearly there. We ran out of time. Um, look, did I make a few coaching errors in that game? Maybe. But at the end of the day, the the players played their guts out. They nearly won the game um and New Zealand won it and Nolene's gone on to be an absolute legend and named a dame in New Zealand. But I'm very proud because she worked within our system for the, you know, previous three years when she was coaching coaching the Lightning. So we got to know each other quite well. And um I'm proud that she took so much from our high performance program here in Australia over to New Zealand to improve New Zealand as well. So The upshot is that global netball is really the most competitive it it has ever been, and particularly the last four years and with the introduction of Super Netball, we've had more overseas players playing at the top level. They never had that back in the day when Jill McIntosh or Joyce Brown was coaching. Norma's time was a bit more competitive, but I would certainly say that my stage of being the Australian coach was the most competitive it's ever been and the hardest to win. So that's why I'm very proud of the stint.
2: And Lisa, Netball Australia decided in March not to renew the contract. You'd wanted to continue. How deep was the level of shock with that decision?
1: Look, on one hand, it was deeply shocking because I really just didn't think that, um, you know, I'd said very clearly to the board and to, you know, President and CEO, sorry, Chair and CEO, that I wanted to continue and I was up for the challenge and I had the energy to do it. Um, however they went to a board meeting and at that board meeting they decided to open up the position it's not that they weren't ha- unhappy with what i'd done uh, that's what i was told i didn't get actually any feedback that was negative uh, about what i'd done a lot of people maybe thought that it was because you know of the two one goal losses well they didn't help but i think what what netball australia decided was that they thought that two cycles was long enough for a coach and it and it would have been in some ways unprecedented because Jill McIntosh only got two cycles. Norma got her two cycles. So I think it's partly influenced probably by the Australian Institute of Sport as well, who pay for the program. They may have said also that it's time for a change. And that was a big thing for me. I was, you know, pretty much fighting against that the whole time.
2: Mm. We're talking to netball legend Lisa Alexander on This Is Your Sporting Life. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. we we'll are back to discuss, well, Lisa's renewed coaching aspirations right after this.
0: You're listening to This Is Your Sporting Life with Sam Edmund for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives. Welcome back to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, Celebrating Lives
2: been great to have your company here on this is your sporting life thanks to tub brothers funerals a family-owned business since 1934 netball coaching guru lisa alexander is our guest today well lisa i wanted to talk footy with you for a moment before we uh, say goodbye you told jared waitley on SEN here in september that you would apply for the next afl head coaching vacancy how real is the footy ambition it's very
1: real um i'm you know committed to giving it a go and I'm very very interested in it. I've had a couple of conversations now with different um, AFL clubs and I won't mention who they are Um, and I have actually put in an expression of interest for the North Melbourne senior coaching position so you know that's all I can do at this stage. Um, Obviously many people seem to have a problem with the fact that I haven't got AFL experience, in their words. Uh, But I've got high performance coaching experience and it's highly transferable from sport to sport. I understand that it would be a big leap of faith, but I really do believe that I can certainly improve the programs of the bottom six clubs um, by coming in and having a great focus on high performance and lifting standards Um, Of course, if I was a head coach, I would not be necessarily the specialist coach of the midfield as such, although I think I could do it. Um, I would bring in people that are the experts to do that. So, you know, more like a Chris Fagan has done at the Brisbane Lions. Although, as you know, Chris played football, you know, at at quite a high level in Mm. Tassie. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it seems to be that it's a big step forward for people to understand that a woman who played football for the girlfriends teams, who's watched it her whole life, who understands the tactics and game styles, who can bring in, I guess, fresh ideas about how to play football as well. Why not, is what I would say. And then also, you know, I've I've been a physical education teacher. I teach all sports when I'm doing that. I can teach how to kick a football on an individual basis. So it's not like I haven't got the skills to do that. It will be the fact that I haven't sat in a coach's box or things like that, although I have done that with Nathan Buckley back in the day. So there will be some issues but I think what people don't understand is the level of coaching that I do and have done with the Diamonds. Um it is, you know, it's it's a hot kitchen to be in, let me assure you. So um you know, it's going to be a matter of a board or a coaching department taking a risk. I know that, but I think, you know, one day I think it will will happen.
2: Lisa Alexander, I love the ambition. It's been great to talk today as well. I mean, you're the most capped Australian netball coach of all time. Your legacy is enshrined in gold medal successes and the Commonwealth Games and the Netball World Cup successes. You've given so much yourself to a sport that really we hold so dear in this country. Well done on all you achieved, but just as importantly, best of luck for the next chapter. Thanks a lot for joining us.
1: Thank you very much.
2: And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Sporting Life for Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Jump online to find tobinbrothers.com.au. And we'll catch you next week to celebrate the life of another sporting icon.
0: Sometimes needing new tyres can catch us by surprise. That's why tyre power gives you the power of zip pay and zip money. You can get what you need now, get back on the road safely and pay for it later. Terms and conditions apply. So visit tyrepower.com.au or call thirteen twenty one ninety one.